Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Lord, we just love you this morning. We're honored to be in your presence. I joined with the psalmist where they said uh, that it was good to be in the house of the Lord. And Lord, we know the house of God is your people now. It's good to be with your people. And Father, our prayer this morning is that Matthew 13, 16, we would have ears to hear. Father, I pray John 12 and verse 40 that we would have hearts to understand. And I believe Revelation 2, 7, the Spirit of God is speaking clearly in these last days. Would you speak to your people this morning? We have an open ear. We have an open heart. We want to hear from heaven today in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you just say amen? Well, we are in our series called A Man After God's Own Heart, and we launched this the week before Father's Day. And last week, Pastor Michael did a great job teaching through David. Let me encourage you, if you were not here last week, jump on. Get our podcast. And everybody that's listening on our podcast right now, we say hello to you. Good morning. Good afternoon, wherever you are. Good night. Whatever your time zone is, we thank God for you. So we, we're going to review very quickly. Now, how many know this says a man after God's own heart? But how many know women can have a heart after God too? And so while this is geared towards our men, while this is really us taking an opportunity to pick on the men, can I have an amen from the ladies, this is applicable to everybody in the house. These principles are wisdom principles, and having a wisdom knows no gender. Wisdom knows no age. You can be an old man and not have wisdom. We think age and wisdom go together, but sometimes age just goes by itself. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But you can be a young man, a young woman, and you can be wise according to the things of God. So while this is geared towards our men in a few specific areas, this will help everybody in the room, whether you're young or old or uh, male or female, this will help everybody in the house. This year we began to pray for God's direction in our church, and we sensed that this was the year of the man. And, and we're not de-emphasizing ladies or what you do in society and in our church. How many know we thank God for the ladies in our life? Man, I thank God for my mother, my mother-in-law, thank God for my wife. Thank God for all of the ladies in, involved in my life. But we really sense this was the year of the man. And that goes back to strengthening families. If you get a good, good strong man, there's a good chance you'll have a good, strong family. And so God really began to deal with us. And so this sermon series was birthed out of that. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13. We will review very, very quickly just to get you called up. Acts chapter 13 and verse 20. I heard a, a minister this week say something at the close of his message and I, I'm going to try to phrase it the way he did. And it was awesome, Pastor Wick. He was teaching and had taught about an hour. And, and I thought, man, our people can't complain. I am a short-winded preacher to some of these guys that I listen to. And, and he said, I'm going to pause my message now, and we're going to have prayer time. And I thought, what's he mean, pause? And he said, because how many know the message never ends? He said, I only have one message. It's like 500 hours long. He said, so I'm just going to pause, and we'll pick back up next week. And I thought, man, I'm going to use that. So I'm no longer closing the sermons. We're no longer ending the message. We're just hitting pause, amen, because it is one continuous message. And I thought, that's good. I'm going to share that. So let's look at Acts chapter 13. Now, we're not pausing now. We've got more to go. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, man, this is the best sermon ever. <laughs> Watch it. Acts chapter 13, verse 20. After these things, God gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Verse 21, then they began to ask for a king, so God gave them Saul. And then verse 22, he had removed Saul, 
because of pride, failure, things of that nature. And it says he raised up David. He raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified. Now, if you are ever called to testify, that means it's your statement. You, you testifying under oath. It's just something you, you testify. I'm a witness to this. You say that. God testified of David. God made a statement of David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I found a man after my own heart, and he will do all my will. My heart, ladies and gentlemen, is to be known as a person after God's own heart. I was just reading this this week, reflecting on this, Chad, just reading through the scriptures. And I thought, when I am gone, when they're writing my obituary, when my legacy is complete, when I've done all that I can do on this earth, will it be said of me that I was a man or a person after God's own heart? Or will it be said I was a man after my own heart? I was a man after my own selfish ambitions. I was a man after my own dreams. Or will it be said that I was a man after God's own heart? I hope that it is said I was a person after God's own heart. And we talked about defining masculinity. Can I have a big grunt from all the men in the house? All right, that was close, Michelle. Come on, give us a big grunt. Give us a big sweaty manly grunt out there. Robin's like, ooh, ooh, he's talking about his manly sweat. But so we're, we're talking about men. We're talking about redefining masculinity. How many know our culture has defined masculinity in a certain way? If you're a man, you do this. You don't share your emotions. You don't cry. Uh, they, they objectify women. It's all about power. It's all about greed. It's all about wealth. Society is defining manhood in a certain way. And I believe we need to go back to the biblical definition of manhood. Who better to define man than the creator of man? And so we're going to look at the Bible for our definition of manhood. And we begin to give you some mappings to make a mighty man. Mappings to make a mighty man. Now, if you're in here today and you're a lady, you can say mappings to make a mighty lady. But let me just tell you this. How many of you ladies know a young man that you could invest in? How many of you have a brother or a nephew or you have a cousin or you have children? You can write these things down and you can teach these principles. So many times we come to church and if it doesn't immediately apply to us, we kind of tune out. We, we secretly get the phone out on Facebook, and we secretly troll Facebook, and, and we secretly uh, tweet, and we're maybe if we're really brave, playing Angry Birds or Candy Crush or whatever the latest game is. I see some of you like, oh, he caught me. Praise God. So, so if it doesn't, if we don't feel like this immediately applies to us, the tendency is to turn it off. But this may not just be for you right now. This may be for somebody you meet down the line. Everything we hear, we should absorb. We should take it in and, and let the Lord use that in the future. How many know the Bible says that, that Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit, will bring all things back to our remembrance? He says He'll bring all things back to our remembrance. Jesus said, the things that I've spoken, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance. If you do not put it inside in the first place, there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to bring back. So what I'm speaking to you today may not apply to you at this moment in your life, but it will apply to you at some point, and it may be for somebody else. We live in such a selfish world. Everything has to be about me. Well, that sermon was for me today. Well, that wasn't really for me, and, and we take a we take a, a shovel, and oh, that was for Meshach. Oh, that was for Kathy. Oh, man, Luis, he really needs that. Hope Luis was listening today. He really needs that. And what we need, ladies and gentlemen, is a rake. Oh, I need that. I'm going to pull that in for me. I'm going to use that in my family. I'm going to use that on my job. 
I'm going to use that with people I encounter. So we gave you some mappings to make a mighty man. My heart is for our men to be men of God. You know what will radically transform our church and our families and our community is men behaving like men, men being men of God. That will help lead the way. So number one, we talked to you from Adam and Cain, and we said you got to finish strong. And that's very uh, encouraging to me that at this minister's meeting we were just uh, attending this week, one of the sessions was on finishing strong, and it was a great outline. And I thought, where was this two weeks ago? I could have used some of these notes and pulled some of this in. But we talked about finishing strong, and we looked at some scriptures about Cain. Cain had an opportunity to be a great man of God. His father Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. But the Bible gives us clear example that Cain did not finish well. Cain did not finish strong. And this is a quote you'll see on the screen. The Christian life is not a hundred-yard dash. It's a marathon. Being a man of God, being a woman of God who finishes strong is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It doesn't really matter how you start. It really matters how you finish. Although the better the start, the better the chance for the finish. But if you had a bad start, maybe through abuse or neglect, or maybe some of you didn't even start walking with the Lord until you were in your late 20s or maybe 30s or even 40s. Your start does not have to determine your finish. You can finish strong through the power of God. And we gave you these phrases. When I say this word, what comes to mind? Keep it to yourself. What comes to mind? Bill Cosby. Obviously, someone who has not finished well, had a seemingly great start, but didn't finish strong at all. What about this phrase, Mother Teresa? How about Billy Graham? Those are people who started maybe rocky or maybe didn't have the best start, but they finished well. Everybody in the room, let's be committed. I'm not going to be a runner away or I'm going to be a stayer putter. Amen? I'm going to finish strong. I'm not going to have an asterisk beside my name. He had all these great years of ministry. He had all this great influence, but he lost his character in a moment of weakness. How I many, ladies and gentlemen, it takes years to build trust. It takes years to develop character, but it can be torn out in a moment's notice. In one moment of, of weakness or one moment of accusation or one moment of, of, of broken focus, you can lose your entire character, your entire reputation, and it's hard to get back. Let's be people in this room that finish well. As a church, let's finish strong. And then number two, we're going to jump in today to some new ground. Not only do we want to finish strong, but number two, new ground today, the, the second mapping to make a mighty man. We want to foster intimacy with God. And I know this is hard for men because men are sometimes more stoic. Sometimes men have a harder time uh, connecting uh, with, with intimate walk with the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you some things this morning that's really going to help everybody in the room. So we started with Adam and Cain. Now we travel on down the genealogy, and we begin to see a man by the name of Enoch. How many of you have ever heard of the man named Enoch in Scripture? Not a lot is known of him, but I want to point some things out that maybe you did not know. So we have Adam, we have Cain, and Cain had a son, and Cain's son was named Enoch. Enoch is one of the ancestors of Noah. We see Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We see Noah was walking with God. I believe it points back to this man, Enoch. So Adam had three children that we know of. They had Cain, 
and Abel, who was murdered, and then they had Seth. Now, the, the historical book of Josephus says that Adam and Eve probably had over 50 children, which is very possible. They lived to be like 900 and something years old. They were so close to perfect creation. They had much more, uh, many more years of childbearing than what we, we have today, just due to gen genetics and their age and being so close to perfect creation. But let's assume that we know these three. We have Cain and Abel and Seth. So I want to show you a scripture here in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21. Out of all the children that Cain had, we can assume he had dozens of children, out of all the children that Cain fathered, only one is mentioned with any significance. Check it out in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Look at verse 22. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So the only thing we know about this man named Enoch is that he walked with God. But I want to show you something that you, if you just glance over it, you'll miss this. And I felt like the Lord really revelated this to me in a very powerful way. We're talking about fostering intimacy with God. Let's back up just a few verses to Genesis chapter 4. So we see Enoch walked with God. Let's look at the cousin of Enoch. Let's look at Seth's children. Let's look at this in Genesis 4.25. Adam had relations with his wife, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed another offspring in place of Abel. And Cain killed Abel. Now look at verse 26. So to Seth also a son was born. And it says this. Notice this here. And he called his name Enosh. Enosh is the cousin of Enoch. Now I want you to see something here. Ready? Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So we have Cain who did not walk with God who did not finish well. And then we have another son born, Seth. And if you study backwards in the genealogy, this is probably 150 to 200 years after the fall. So we have the fall of man, and then 150 to 200 years later, we see Enoch come on the scene, and we see Enosh come on the scene. So there was a time frame, there was a time period, Tom, where men did not walk with God, where men did not call upon the name of the Lord, where men were not fostering intimacy with God. And it goes back to Cain and, and it goes back to Adam. We said last time we can't prove it in Scripture, but it doesn't look like Adam accomplished very much after the fall. Yes, he repented. Yes, God brought him back in fellowship. But we don't see a lot of historical data to point to these great things that Adam did in the kingdom of God. So we can tell you there was a time where men were not seeking God. They were not walking with God. So Enoch comes along and he walked with God. And at the same time, the Bible declares, and then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. What will your intimacy with God foster around us? Let me break it down this way. Look at this PowerPoint for life. I want you to see this. Your walk with God will affect future generations. Your intimate walk and your intimate relationship with God will affect future generations. What I'm talking about is developing and maintaining a passion for God. How many of you have seen someone who has a real passion for the Lord? How many of you have said, I want that, I want a passion for that? So we're talking about developing and maintaining a passion for God. Write this down. Let me give you a few things that will help you. Number one, check it out on the screen. You must desire it. You must desire it. 1 Corinthians 14 says to pursue love, to desire spiritual gifts. If we're going to have a passion for God, we must desire it. It starts with a passion. Men, I'm looking for a church full of men who have a passion for God.
who have a passion for Jesus, who have passion for one another. You must cultivate it. I began to think about this. What, is, what does cultivate it mean? How do you cultivate it? I thought of a garden. I thought of how you have to till the ground. You have to plant the seeds. You have to dig the weeds up. You have to put the right amount of water. You have to have the right sunlight. There are things that you can do, men, to cultivate your intimacy with God. There are things, men, that you can do. Are my men out there? Can I have an oh yeah? There are things, men, you can do that will inhibit your intimate walk with God. Just like you can create it and desire it and foster this intimacy with God, there are things that you can do that will block your intimate relationship with God. That's why we must make a determined purpose. I'm going to finish well. I'm going to foster intimacy with God. Number three, you have to feed it. Coming to church is a good way to feed it. Coming on Wednesday nights is a good way to feed it. Having devotions with your family. Having private prayer time. Listening to something besides talk radio all the time is a good way to feed it. Oh, stepping on toes now, amen. I'll get convicted occasionally. I'm a talk radio dude. I listen to sports talk and all that. And, but, but I caught myself in a pattern earlier this year where I was only listening to sports talk, only listening to news radio. And I sensed the Lord saying, is there something else you could be feeding your spirit with that is more beneficial than the, the latest and greatest talk show? Nothing wrong with talk radio. But I'm talking about men who have a passion for God. I'm talking about men like Enoch who shifted a generation. Enoch was in a dark place. People were not walking with God. People were not calling with God. But Enoch walked with God and it changed an entire generation. We cannot wait for another generation to walk with God to change the generation. It's up to us today, men. It's up to us today, ladies, to be the one who walks with God. We must be around those with it. That's why I love our staff. I love hanging out with Pastor Rick and Pastor Michael. They have such a passion for God. And if I ever come in and my passion's a little waning or I'm just not feeling it, get around these guys and they will rub off on me. You need to be around your pastor with a passion for God. Amen? You need to be around people. Number five, you need to stay pure in your walk with God. You need to stay pure in your walk with God. So I want, to, I want to reflect on something this morning because I want to give you a principle. You will never truly have a passion for God. If you're writing this down, this, this is a great thing to note. You will never truly have a passion for God until you understand His passion for you. That's like the more I realize my wife, how much she loves me, the easier it is for me to love her. She's pretty easy to love out of the box, amen? Out of the gate. But the more I realize how much she loves me, serves our family, it's, it's that much easier to love her. It's a spiritual principle. You will never truly have a great love for God until you understand His great love for you. So very quickly, I just want to give you a snapshot, some reflections of God's love. Look at this on the screen. Number one, God's love is so deep that it costs Jesus life. God loves you to life. He doesn't love you to death. God loves you to life. But religion, Pastor Rick, will skew our view of how much God loves us. How many of you grew up in an environment, let me see your hand, where it was so focused on what you did and what you did not do that it felt more like it was about the rules than the relationship? Anybody be willing to admit that? That's what religion does. Religion says that if you do this, then God will love you. But listen, men, men, we got to receive this. Men, we have to receive this because as men, we, we can become performance-based. Listen, men, listen, ladies. God loves you in spite of who you are, not because of who you are. 
God loves you in spite of what you do, not because of what you do. As men, we have to lay down the hard shell. As men, we have to lay down the the tough exterior, and we have to allow God to love us. We have to allow God's love to pour into us. Let me just give you a few scriptures here that will help you in this receiving God's love. You can't have what you you can't give what you don't have. You'll never have a, a a great intimate walk with God if you don't realize how much He loves us. That's why we sang that song this morning. Look at Psalm thirty four nineteen. Love this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many of you have ever felt that way? How oh, many are the afflictions of the righteous? Listen, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Keep reading your Bible. Well, I'm just being afflicted on every side. I'm being pressed and crushed on every side. I understand, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and God did not cause a single one of them. Notice what happens here. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. The Lord helps them escape in every situation. The Lord delivers them out of every trouble. Come on, that's how much God loves us. I've got one person that believes, and this happens to be my mother, but I'll take what I can get, amen? Keep clapping, lady, amen. Look at John 6, 63. I'm going to be excited whether you are or not. This is such good news. Me and Chad like this. Look at this. It is the Spirit who gives life. Remember, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Men, we have to receive this. Men, if you want to walk with God, you have to meditate on how much God loves us. It has to settle in your heart. It's kind of like the old arcade machines that took the nickels or the coins or the old gumball machines. Uh, I, I would get so frustrated. I used to cut my, get my hair cut at this little, this old little shack that was like the size of half of this stage, and it was just a little local barber. And he would always have a candy machine, but the things would never work. We'd come in with a quarter, put it in, and be all excited, and the quarter would just come right back out. And we're like, oh, man, fix your candy machines. Well, one day I'll get around to it. And, Got, got customers lined up, and there's like nobody else in the room, you know. But uh, go in, we want kids, we want candy. Oh, we got candy, we got a coin. I, I never forget, I can smell it. I can smell that old barber shop. It's, it smelled like shaving cream all the time. It was just, And we'd put the quarter in, and it would just come right back out. And then finally, I guess he fixed his machine, and one day we went in, put the quarter in, and it caught, and it sunk, it settled in, and we turned, and we were able to, to receive the candy that we'd wanted for decades. And then, then by that point, we outgrew the barbershop. So it's like the only time we ever got candy, and we moved on. Or the guy died or something, I don't remember. But I remember all the time putting it in, putting it in, and, and, and being so disappointed. And then one day it worked. One day it stuck. With God's love, you have to put it in and put it in and put it in. Because the world sucks it out, sucks it out, sucks it out. you got to put it... Men, we have to realize how much God loves us if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to have an intimate relationship with God. John 6, 63, it's the Spirit that gives life. Jesus said, the words that I've spoken to you, say it with me, ready? They are Spirit and are life. You would do well to meditate on the words of Jesus. The world speaks death over you. That's why I will not lend my tongue to death, because the words of the Spirit are life. They're not death. Are you one of those confession cops? You think you need to watch what you say? Absolutely you need to watch what you say, because your words, when they line up with the, uh, the Word of God, you come into agreement. When your words line up with the Word of the enemy, you come into agreement. Ladies and gentlemen, life and death is in the power of the... 
If, if the words of Jesus are spirit and life, we need to soak those in. Look at James 1.17. And as I'm preaching, it's like drops of love. These words of Jesus, just waves of love. Because you cannot walk with God in an intimate way if you don't understand His passion for you. James 1.17, every good thing. And I always think of my lovely wife when I read this. Can we encourage my awesome wife, Tara, whom I love so much? Every good thing. And I'm not even in the doghouse, amen. That was just because. I'm not even trying to get out of trouble. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shifting shadow. Meaning, God is not a good God one day and a bad God the next. God is not a gracious God one day and then coming down on you in judgment the next. God loves us. We must have this to receive it. So look at the third one. God does not love me based on my performance. God does not love me based on my performance. His love is so deep it cost Jesus his life. God does not love me based on my performance. God's love convicts, does not condemns. There's a difference. Conviction says, men, conviction says you are too worthy to sin. Condemnation says you are unworthy because you sinned. I'm working on convicting my children. Me and the Holy Spirit are working together, and we are convicting, working on convicting my children. One day, I'll drop out of the picture, and it'll just be the Holy Spirit. But right now, we're working together. We're helping my children learn conviction. But I do not use it in a condemning way, man. Let me, let me express to you. I have never, not one time. Now, now, if you've done this, we can't go back. I mean, you, know, you can't find motivation always looking back. You've got to look ahead. So if you've done this, we're not throwing stones at you, but we want to help you. I've never not one time told my children, you are a bad kid. Noah, you're a bad boy. Now, again, if that's like your favorite thing to say, not casting stones, let's do it different. Because you know what? He is a good kid. He's a godly kid. He just made a really bad decision. I've never once looked at my wife and said, you are a bad wife, because she would punch me in the head, praise God. <laughs> Y'all think she's all sweet, and she is until you call her a bad wife, and then it's, you know. But I've never once looked at my little girls and said, Ava, you are a bad girl. No, 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 no. What you did was a bad thing, but you are a good, godly girl. You just made a bad decision. What am I doing? I'm, I'm working through conviction, not condemnation. That's how God deals with us. You see, conviction draws and, and is an inward. Conviction is an inward Dealing based on what I did and, and who I am. and, and uh, Condemnation is an outward agitation where conviction is internal. God's love convicts. It draws. Condemnation is a rejection. And then this last one here, God's love cast out all fear. Men, we need to learn to let God love us and not fear for the future. Not fear. Men want to provide. Is that right? That's a good place to say amen, men. Actually, I, I don't really care if I do or not. No. <laughs> well, there's another sermon for you called Hard Work. <laughs> which I was telling my son the other day, you know, he's wanting to make a lot of money when he gets older. I said, son, that's great, but it's going to be hard work. You're not, this is, nobody's just going to give you a handout. It's going to be hard work. You've got to work hard. How I many know we, we need a little less prosperity teaching? I'm for prosperity, but we need more hard work teaching. So this summer, my kids are working. They're doing things around the house, and they're helping out. And, and I just refuse to let my kids lay around all summer and do nothing and just be in, uh, uh, unproductive. So uh, my kids are learning this. But men, listen, God's love casts out all fear. 
Fear of dying too early. Fear of losing your family. Fear of not being able to provide. Fear of what if, what if you know, my job disappears. or what if, Fear of my wife leaving me. Fear of my children not respecting me. The love of God cast out all fear because perfect love cast out all fear. 1 John chapter 4. So these are some reflections of God's love because we want to foster intimacy with God. Let's look at number three. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? So we're going to finish strong. We're going to foster a walk with God. Man, what would our church look like if all of our men continued to have a strong, godly walk, an intimate walk with God? You know what, men? I want to see men who lead the way in worship. I know sometimes, men, you know, a lot of guys are like, when the, when the Spirit really moves them, you know, the hands come out to here, you know. And, and I'm not saying we need a bunch of window washing, you know, men and, you know, or the, the you know. Uh, the Mufasa, the circle of life, you know. I'm not saying, we, you know, that you have to go crazy or do that or, or anything. But men, listen, men, let's lead the way in passionate worship. You know why our children are not expressing themselves in worship? Because they're not seeing the men express themselves in worship. My, my kids make fun of me all the time because I always cry up here. Your music, and they're like, Dad, you you were crying again. And, and Noah would be like, I thought men aren't supposed to cry. And I said, no, 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 son. Listen, man, when God touches your heart, we need a tender heart before the Lord. If I'm not crying, something's wrong because my heart is not as tender before the Lord as it needs to be. What y'all don't see is if I'm not crying, I'll get a little tack and I'll sit on a pen, you know, and it'll make me cry. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But I want my heart to stay soft and tender before the Lord. Men, listen, men, have your children seen you worship? I'm not condemning you, but how are my kids going to learn to worship through mom and dad? Men, let's lead the way. Let's be passionate. Let's not wait on the women to initiate everything spiritually. Come on, men. Let's grow up. Put your big boy pants on and lead your family in the things of God. Amen? That's worth coming for. I love my wife. She's awesome. She can lead in spiritual things, but I'm not going to sit back and wait. I'm going to take the leadership role that God has given me as the man of my house, as my family, and I'm going to lead my kids in the things of God. They're going to hear me pray out loud. Amen. And again, you don't have to be me. You don't have to have my personality. But men, let's take this thing seriously. Let's foster an intimate walk with God so we can give it to our kids. Otherwise, there'll be a time on the earth where men do not call upon the Lord. And God will have to raise up another leader. How about God raises us up? And again, you don't have to be me and my personality, but let your children see you initiating spiritual things. And God will begin to flow through that. And you will notice a difference in your whole family. Amen, amen, amen. You still love me? I love me. So, <laughs> number one. We're going to finish strong. Number two, we're going to foster intimacy with God. Number three, the third, mappings of a mighty man. And men, start where you are. Just let, let it overflow because you're receiving God's love. Let it overflow to your family. All right, number three, follow God's calling on your life. Follow God's calling on your life. This is one of the most important things that we'll discuss in this series Started with Adam and Cain, now we see Enoch, and now we make our way to Genesis chapter 6, and we come upon a man named Noah. How I many know at this pace, we may never get through all the men of the Bible? <laughs> we have to pause this series at some point. But we come upon a man named Noah. You know, Noah was 500-something years old when, when God called him to build the ark. You understand the story. God said, I regret that I made man. Even though Enoch walked with God, 
men had re rejected God over the, the next few centuries. And God regretted that he made man, but he found grace in the eyes of Noah. This is what I want to say, men. When God looks down on the earth, will he find grace? Will you find grace in his eyes? Will he find you a vessel that he can use? So this is what I want to summarize Noah's life. Look at Genesis 6.22. I want us to read this together out loud. This summarizes everything about Noah. I'm not going to get into the story and the whole deal. But Noah did this. Ready? Let's read. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded. And so he did. So thus Noah did all that God had commanded. Look at this PowerPoint for life. Men, you're going to like this. You were not called only to survive but you are called to thrive. Let me speak this over you. Remember Jesus said the words that I speak are spirit and their life. Let me speak some life into you today. You are not called only to exist. You are not called to just get up, go to work, come home, eat supper, get up, go to work, come home, eat supper, and repeat that cycle. You are called to thrive. Right where you are, in the place that God has planted you, you are called to thrive. We all remember Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not harm, not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. What I want to tell you this morning is that God has called you to thrive, and every man and every woman in the room, God has a good plan for you. God has a good plan for you. So write this down. I want to give you five components to the call. Five components to the call. What I love about our church is that we're always going to tell you how. We're never just going to say, you need to do this and that. We're going to tell you how. So TC, we can walk this out as men. We can live this out. Five components of the call. Number one, you'll see it on the screen. It's God's calling and not your own. Everybody say, I love Pastor James. Thank you for getting that out of the way because that may change after these next few points. It is God's calling and not your own. Let me, let, me, let me summarize it this way. Look at this PowerPoint for life. Ready? God has a great plan for your life, just not a great life for your plan. God has a tremendous plan for your life, but He doesn't have a great life for your plan. It is not my calling. It is God's. Let me say this in another way. We do not decide our destiny. I love our, all of our college students that are here, and you guys just walked through this path. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm, I'm, still, I'm, still, I'm still answering that question. What do I want to be when I grow up? So, and they say, well, what, you know, what have you decided? What have you decided that your major is? And I understand that terminology. There's some decision-making process involved. But you do not decide your destiny. You discover it. Doesn't the Bible say, oh, I love it, the steps of a righteous are ordered? T.C. and Samantha are not deciding their future. They just have to discover it. Doesn't the Bible say that he knows the end from the beginning? God already has a destiny for you. God already has a calling on your life. And it is not up for you to decide. It's up for you to discover. And you will discover that through an intimate walk and an intimate relationship with God. So take a look at this scripture. Look at Philippians 3.14. Paul declares this. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race. And I press on. We need some men with some press on. We need some men with some determination to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, is calling us. God is calling us. Say this when we say, God is calling me. God is calling me. So we must realize, ladies and gentlemen, it's not your calling. The calling is not your own. It is God's calling on your life, meaning you are a steward of what God has called you to do. 
you will be held to account of what you did with your calling. Now, when, when I say calling, immediately we go to ministry. But very few people are called into full-time ministry by as a vocation. Every believer is called into full-time ministry, but it may not be your vocation. I've heard some of you sing. I've watched a few of you try to preach. It may not be your calling, you know? I don't know. But, but, is it, but every single person is called into ministry, and every single... You can be a... a uh, what are you doing with medals? Something great with medals. What's that term? Nano metal technology. That's what Robin is doing. She's one of the smartest people in the room. Amen. That can be a calling on your life. It doesn't just have to be ministry related. If you're nursing, how many medical people? Do we have any medical people? You can also be called to be a housewife. My wife right now, if you tell her, her calling is to take care of me and the kids in the home. I mean, that's a big calling. That's a great calling. So your calling doesn't have to be, oh, I'm just called to be a pastor. I'm not a... Listen, you, George is in the business world. His calling on his life is to be in the business world. Chad is in our military serving faithfully. That's the calling of God on his life. But you've got to understand it's not your calling. It is God's. He gave it to you. Thus, you must allow him to direct you and to mold you and shape you. We don't decide our destiny. We must discover it. Number two, look at this. We must value the calling. We must value and prize the calling. This is what I put in my notes. Make little decisions today that match your big visions. Well, I'm called to be in the military. I'm called to serve in this. I'm called to be in the finance world. I'm called to be in biology. I'm called to be in the aviation field. I'm called. You must begin to make little decisions today that match your big visions. Well, I feel like I'm called to uh, be a doctor. Well, are you enrolling in school? No, I'm just going to start practicing in my backyard. You know, raise it. You know, whoever wants treatment. Hey, you know, I will not be going to that doctor. Amen. You've got to begin to make little decisions today that match your big visions. This is what I love about God. We can do little things, minor adjustments. Write this down. Write this down. Minor adjustments make major differences. This is wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. Minor adjustments make major differences. So we must prize and value the calling. God could have chosen anyone to have carried out the tasks that you've been given in life, but He chose you. Let's value that. Let's prize that. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 declares this. Paul said, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. I beg you to lead a life. Ready? Here it is. Ready? Worthy of your calling. We need godly people in the business world. We need godly people on staff at Cracker Barrel. We need godly school teachers. We need godly people in our military. We need godly people in the medical field. Let's live a life worthy of our calling. Now, and it says worthy. What, what is something that is worth? What is this worth to you? It means it has value. Pastor Rick, my calling is valuable. What God has called me to be, I need to prize it. I need to walk worthy. It says, for you have been called by God. And listen, listen, listen. God does not make mistakes on His call. He didn't dial the wrong number. Heard a story the other day about a man that was in the gym. And he was working out, and his phone rang, and he picked it up, and he was sweaty, so he put it on hands-free mode, where it was on speakerphone. And this, this lady was on the other end, and she said, Husband, she said, Honey, I'm, I'm here at this 
uh, this uh, mall store, and they've got this beautiful three-carat diamond ring, and it's like $20,000. And, honey, you know, I've always wanted this ring, and, and, you know, can I get it? He said, well, sure, if, if that's what you want to make you happy, go ahead and get it. She said, well, there's one more thing. I was actually driving down the road, and they had this brand-new red Mercedes, and it was, you know, it was only, you know, $102,000, and, and I really want it. He said, well, okay, you know, if, if, you, if it'll make you happy. I was, I was hoping for 100000 but if 102 will make you happy, then... Then go ahead and do it. And he's having this conversation in the gym on speakerphone. And then all of a sudden she says, well, there's one more thing. You know that house that I saw, you know, many years ago? It's up for sale. It's $2.2 million. What do you think? He said, yeah, go ahead. Make, make an offer for $2 million, but if they won't take it, it's probably worth $2.2. And she said, oh, I love you. Thank you so much. And, and she hung up, and the man turned around and says, anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> anybody know whose phone this is? How many know they had the wrong number? When God called you, He did not dial the wrong number. He did not make a mistake. He knew what He was doing, and He will equip you for the call. Where God guides, He provides. Amen? How many of y'all didn't know where I was going with that story? So we must value as men and prize our calling. And I put this in my notes. Look at verse 2, Ephesians 4.2. Media team, you're rocking today. You guys are doing awesome. Always be humble. Be gentle. Be patient with each other. Men, listen. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Keep that up if you can on the screen. Let me just share this, I think, by the Holy Spirit helping us here. And anytime God reveals something, it's to heal something. So if God picks on you in a message, it's not to make you feel bad, it's to heal something. What God reveals, He heals. And I've been guilty of this, Chad. I'll, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. But man, it's easy to overlook everybody else's faults until it comes to like your family, like your kids, like your wife. My wife doesn't have any faults, but maybe some of yours have some faults. Let's not, let's not, let's not give everybody else in the world grace, men. But when it comes to our spouse and our family, there's no grace at all. Let's show our family the most grace. Amen? Yeah, let's give God thanks. Amen. Look at verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. So it's God's calling. We must value it and we must prize it. This is what I'm talking about when we say holiness. This, everything we just read, this is what I would depict as holiness. Holiness is, is doing what's right. It's, it's what we call discipleship. Living that uncommon, that separate life. Staying away from sin. And this is an example I felt like the Lord put in my heart. So our calling, Meshach, if I could borrow you for just a minute. And Chad, if I could borrow you for just a moment. And let me get Pastor Rick, if I could borrow you for just a moment. So Meshach, if you'll stand right here. Meshach, uh, and watch the TV there. I've hit my head many times. If you'll stand right there. Meshach is our calling. He is our destiny, okay? And then Pastor Rick is uh, sin. Pastor Rick is the devil. He is sin. So, so come here, Chad. What's your head on the TV? Well, you know, you got to take jabs at the staff when you can, amen? So, so Meshach here is our destiny. He's our calling. He's, he's, he's God's plan and will for our life. And then Pastor Rick is sin and unholiness and, and uh, you know, that whole list and we see in Corinthians, you know. Yeah, that's right. And then so, so Chad is the man 
Chad is the man. Let's not make Pastor Rick quit and resign. <laughs> we need him. But Chad is the man following after God. So I want to show you this, okay? Now, now Pastor Rick is also going to play, he's going to play holiness and he's going to play unholiness, okay? So let me show you what holiness does. Y'all see the halo right now? This is the halo on Pastor Rick. So he's, he's being discipled. He's staying away from secret sins, staying away from lust, staying away from sexual perversion. He's not cheating on his taxes. He's reading his Bible like he's supposed to. He's coming to church like he's supposed to. He's doing all the things that you would look at a Christian and go, this is what you do when you follow God. So Meshach, I just want you to pull the rope, okay? Just the imaginary rope. You're pulling the rope towards Chad. And Pastor Rick, you're going to push Chad towards his calling. You're, you're holy. You're, you're destiny, all right? So Meshach is pulling. The calling is pulling. And so holiness helped Chad get to his destiny. Now let's flip it again. Let's go back this way. You're calling, man. You're pulling. You're tugging. You're cheering him on. You're cheering Chad saying, I've got a destiny. I've got a calling. But Chad has been cheating on his taxes. <laughs> Not really. And, and so hold him back. And Chad, make a little effort to come. Okay, now, come on, Pastor Rick, come on. Oh, okay. Come on, give these guys a big hand. Wasn't that great? Thank you, guys. So now notice, notice, notice how, notice, notice holiness, walking humble, being gentle, doing what's right. Notice that was kind of the wind at his back, kind of the wind beneath his sails. Chad was moving in that direction. The calling is pulling and calling us, and, and, and it's like a vacuum trying to draw us in. And, and holiness, our obedience to God's Word, was, was accelerating that destiny. But notice that, that when there's unholiness or unconfessed, unrepented sin in our life, and by that I mean that it's a sin that you're engaged in and you're to the point where you're no longer convicted and, and you've settled in your heart that this is okay, and, and, and that's a very hard place to be. Unrepented, unconfessed sin. I'm not talking about we all make mistakes from time to time. I'm talking about something Hebrews says, let us lay down the weight and the sin that easily besets us, that holds us back. So un unholiness and cheating on taxes and not not reading our Bible, not praying, not doing what we're supposed to do. It, is, it holds us back from advancing as quickly to our destiny. Notice that Chad was able to move, able to make some progress. But Chad, did it take a lot more work? Did it take a lot more effort? And it sure will take a lot longer. So ladies and gentlemen, when we preach on let's stay away from sin, let's live right, let's read our Bible, let's come to church, let's be godly. It's not to get God to love us. It's to help you reach your destiny quicker. Come on, can we give God thanks? We must value and prize the calling. All right, number three, you may have given up on your calling, but God has not. The calling over your family may look like it's in shambles, but God has not given up on your, on your family. The calling over your children, maybe you have children away from the Lord, and you feel like your calling as a spiritual leader in their life has expired, you may have given up on the calling, but God has not given up on the calling. Maybe you had a dream to be this, or to do this, or to do that, and you have given up on the calling. Who gave you the right to give up on your calling? It's not your calling. Who gave you the right to lay that down? Who told you that was okay? It's not your calling. It's God's calling over your life. And the Bible declares in Romans chapter 11, 
And verse 29, the Bible boldly declares, you'll see it on the screen, the gifts and his callings on our life can never be withdrawn. Ladies and gentlemen, listen by the Holy Spirit. There is no expiration date on the call of God on your life. You may have set it aside, but there is no expiration date on the call of God. And I just came by to tell you this morning that God is blowing on some folks this morning and He's resurrecting some calls. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They cannot be withdrawn. Say this with me. Say, He's not done with me yet. He's not done with me yet. So we take this call and then now we're going to number four. We're going to prioritize it. So we talked about finishing well, men, ladies. We talked about fostering intimacy with God. And now we're going to talk about prioritizing the call. So I want you to see this here. We're following God's calling on our life. Look at Psalm 90 and verse 12. So teach us, Lord, to number our days. How many know one thing that you cannot get more of is time? You're never walking down the road, you know, and be like, we say, I need to find more time. How many of you have ever said, I need to find more time? Have you been walking down the road? Oh, look, 15 minutes, you know. <laughs> hey, I found an hour and a half. No, you don't find more time. Listen, you redeem the time. Everybody in the room has the same amount of time. Time is your, actually your most precious commodity. Have you ever heard the, time, the phrase, time is money? If we would value our time as we value our money, you know why I value my time more than money? Because I can always make more money. Can't make more time. My daughter is 11 years old. I'll never get that year back. I'll never. My, my son is 9 years old. He is almost 10 years old. Every single day I wake up, I'm going, Oh, dear Jesus, I've got to get this thing right. I want my kids to walk with God. I better get my act together, ladies and gentlemen i got to do this thing right. I've got one shot. They're not making more time. We all have the same allotment. So it's not, you know, I need to find more time. It's teach me, Lord, to number my days so that we may present a heart of wisdom. When I order, when I order my life and when I put my life in order, I order my days, I order my time, I redeem the time in, I follow after the calling of God on my life, it is wisdom before the Lord. Now, this is what I want to show you today. And this is not up for debate with me because I'm the one teaching the sermon, so I get to put these in order. But many of you may not feel this way. And again, I'm not throwing sticks at you, but I want to help you. Can I help you today for just a minute? We're going to pause the sermon in a minute. Let me try to help you, Jared. Pull up our priorities. I want you to see this, all right? Now, again, this is according to the Bible. We're prioritizing the call. This is not according to society. There's no selfish motive in this. I want to explain these to you because this will help. You want to be a man after God's own heart? Prioritize the call. Number one, I'm called to be a child of God. My relationship with God must be first and foremost. You can't give what you don't have. If I don't have a real genuine walk with God, I can't translate that to my family. My highest and best calling is to be a child of God. Everybody in the room, your top highest calling is to be a child of God. Number two is I'm called to be a husband. Now, if you're a lady, substitute wife. My calling, my second calling is wife. In, in, in my second calling in life is to be the best husband to that lady that I can be. That's my number two calling. 
My number three calling, according to Scripture, is I'm called to be a father at this stage of my life. I've got young kids. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm called that. I cannot let other things creep up the priority ladder. I will pay for them later. You ever heard of opportunity cost? I had someone just the other day doing some maintenance at my house. And he kind of opened up to me and shared. And, and he said, he, I'll paraphrase here. He said, when I was, when I was younger, uh, life was all about the money. And I didn't give my children time. He said, now my kids are gone and grown and they don't have time for me. And they just call me when they need money. And he was lamenting to me. And I tried to encourage him in the best I could. I don't know where he is in his walk with God. Scripturally, I can help you a whole lot. But I don't, you know, I didn't, we, we just snip at a time. But listen to what he said. He said, when, I, when my kids were little, it was all about the money. And I didn't give my kids time. And this convicted me. This man, he was speaking to me and I didn't even know it. And he said, now that my kids are grown and gone, they don't have time for me. They just call me when they need money. If we do not prioritize to call now, we will pay for it later. But if you're paying for it later, you can redeem the time. God can restore the time. Amen? Number one calling is a child of God. You're, don't let anything come between you and your walk with God. Number two, I'm called to be the best husband that I can be to that lady right there. Well, how do you say you're called to be a husband before kids? Because I was a husband before I was a father. It's the order. Number three, my calling is to the church. Now, I'm not talking church or ministry. I'm talking body of Christ. Remember, we did our series on why church. Church is not a building. Church is not a place. Church is a people. Now, the world won't tell you this, but if you study the book of Acts, and look, my calling to the body of Christ supersedes my calling as a vocation. And it does for everybody in the room. And then the fourth, one, two, three, four, fifth, my fifth calling is my vocation. I must get my value in who I am, not what I'm doing. What my vocation is important. We need to have, we need, but my number one calling is to God. Number two is to that lady back there. Number three is to my kids. Number four is to the body of Christ in general and then to my church family. Number five is my vocation. And then I believe is the biblical order of priorities. Look at number five. Stay faithful to the call. Stay faithful to the call. The fifth component. Galatians 1, verse 1, and Galatians 1, 6. Look what Paul said here. Paul said, I'm an apostle. I'm not sent by men. I'm not sent through an agency of man, but I'm sent through Jesus Christ. Remember, it's his call, and I'm sent through God who raised him from the dead. Now, he's having a problem with his church in Galatia. Look at verse 6. Look what he says here. He says, I'm amazed that you so quickly are deserting the one who called you. I'm amazed that you're forsaking your calling you're looking at and going after a different gospel. So we must remain faithful to the call. God's calling, it's not our own. I must value and prize the calling. I may have given up on the calling, but God is not. And then I must stay faithful to the caller. I must stay faithful to the faithful one. Ladies and gentlemen, we can walk in our calling. We can follow the plan of God for our life. Amen? We can finish strong. So I'm going to hit pause and we'll pick it back up next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken life unto us today. Thank you for every man and every woman, child in the house. Thank you for wisdom. It's the principal thing. You said, therefore, get wisdom and get understanding. Lord, I pray these words don't condemn us, but they convict us. Help us, God, be 
the men and women you've called us to be. Help us to be passionate for you. Help us lead our families well. And Lord, I pray for those in the house that maybe haven't done these things. Maybe they didn't know these principles. Maybe they weren't aware of this when they were younger. Maybe they feel like they've lost time. Lord, I sent your word saying that you are redeeming the time. I sent your word saying, Lord, that you are restoring the time. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. I want to ask everybody in the room just to...